0: This is a Rogue Media Network podcast.
1: What's up, Brew Talkers? I'm Benji Gomez, your host, a coffee loving networking pro on a mission to fast track opportunities through social connections. This episode of Brew Talks was written and designed to emphasize the importance of seeking diversity in the social connections we forge. While it's comfortable to stay connected with people similar to us, it stunts our own growth and limits the value we can drive to others. So we invited Dr. Mito Diaz Espinosa, Director of Equity Initiatives at Waco Family Medicine on the show to give us insights into the effect diversity has on our own growth, the strength of our network, and share practical advice on how to prioritize diversity when we're building our social networks. Plus, we'll also dive into DEI as it relates to the health of an organization and some of the challenges both the public and private sector are facing. Now grab a cup and take a seat. And as always, pinkies up and enjoy the episode. All right, everybody, it's a beautiful day here in Waco, Texas, and the start of my birthday month. And what better way to get off the birthday month than with an outstanding guest and my friend, Mito Diaz Espinosa? Mito, thank you so much for being on the
0: show. Thank you for having me. It's a great day.
1: Oh, it is a great day. Uh, just to highlight, one of the things that we do on Brew Talks is we highlight either some sort of coffee shop, either locally. Uh, nationally. We really try to keep it local just to give uh, small businesses a little bit more of exposure. Uh, But today I think I bit a little bit of the corporate vibe and I am repping Starbucks today. And arguably one of my favorite drinks is a blonde espresso. So blonde is just the roast that they put in there. Uh, Iced Americano with, it's a venti, so that means it had four shots of espresso because being a new dad, I kind (laughs) of need it. Uh, With four pumps of vanilla. So Uh, yeah, next week or the next episode that I have will highlight another small business, but for now, you know, I had to, had to rep the original Starbucks. So sounds good. Yep. Well, again, Mito, thank you so much for being here. Um, really appreciate you being here. We've known each other for quite some time now, and I know that you've been kind of a force in the DEI space within Waco for right now. Just give us a little bit of your background, how you got into the profession, um, you know, what influenced your decision to
0: be in there? And then, you know, what are some challenges you've had within the space? Sure. Uh, well, I'm originally from Waco, so I'm, I'm proud of that. Uh, a Waco ISD graduate and I grew up here. Always, uh, been conscious of being Latino and Chicano specifically because how my parents were activists. So always had a, a lens for what diversity means and justice and equity and I went off to school and in college, going to predominantly white institutions surrounded by traditionally white people. You find spaces and you curtail spaces that um, look like people that look like you or grew up like you. So I always kind of gravitated toward that. I spent 22 years working in higher education. And in higher ed, we always um, get free labor out of people. So there's always a committee. <laughs> there's always an extra celebration of this. There's a task force of for that. Um, and I always wanted to be involved in that. And also being a non-white person, I got invited to a lot of those on interviews and all those things. So I kind of always worked informally in that space. Mm -hmm. Um, And then toward the end of my career in higher education, I transitioned at Baylor University into the Civil Rights and Title IX office and dealt specifically with equity and compliance issues. And then really started formalizing training. I got a certificate from the State University of New York um, Albany and then also University of South Florida both in uh, diversity equity and inclusion um, so really started honing in on that and, and developing those skills and then the opportunity came up at Waco um, Family Medicine to work in both equity and compliance and now focusing on equity initiatives so it becomes a real um, space of just this is something I've always done but then I got trained and um, I, I hesitate to say expertise because it's always evolving, always changing. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if anybody can ever be an expert or you're not going to be an expert more than a week or so because something else is going to come up. There's going to be new talk of identities. So I am an expert because I've been trained, but it's an ever-evolving field and it's just a really exciting space to be in. Challenges we face, um, people don't really understand what it is. Uh, there's a lot of misconceptions. Mm. A lot of people will take small snippets of information and hear stories and then Cast all trainings and all uh, education around it in the same light. Um, and people always feel as if we're taking away something or we're burdening somebody else or there's targets. Um, so there's a lot of kind of misconceptions in that. So we have to dispel those things uh, and then just trying to get people to understand that we're doing this to make everyone better. Um, I worked mm-hmm. in higher ed, and the research shows that if you have a non white person in your class, everyone's grade in the class goes up not just those who are from underrepresented groups or not just those um, in the predominantly white spaces or, or predominantly um, overrepresented groups. Everyone's grade level lo- raises because of the level of discourse that you have. And we'll talk a little bit more about that, I'm sure. But discussions, perspectives, all that information is just new knowledge, new ways to learn, and that's what makes everyone around you better. So when we talk about diversity, equity, inclusion, we're actually trying to raise everyone around, not just one group or favor one group over another. Yeah. You know,
1: thank you so much for just that articulate answer. I do want to touch on the, the the statistic that you mentioned about having, I think you mentioned having one white person inside of the... Having one non-white person. Non-white. Okay. So having one non-white person inside of a classroom elevated everybody's grade by a letter. So we're kind of getting into our first point, but why does diversity matter within the context of forming social connections? Can you expand a little bit upon why that discourse happens and why there's such a dramatic impact in people's, well, I wouldn't say intelligence, but I guess their academic performance?
0: Yeah. So we are human beings and our brains kind of fix, um, into this idea of, of Daniel Kahneman wrote, wrote a book, uh, thinking fast and thinking slow. Can't remember the exact title, but mm-hmm. we have these, um, kind of automatic thoughts that we have. And when we surround ourselves with people who are just like us, we're all kind of thinking the same thing. We're looking at things from the same perspective. So adding new perspectives, adding different opinions, different ways we grew up, um, culture, tradition, all those things come into it. People will then ask better questions. They'll start challenging other things. We start debating the merits of the content that we're talking about, the ideas, the, um, the theories. And then because we have different perspectives, now we can grow. Before Mm -hmm. everyone's talking about the same thing from the same space, Um, we kind of get to the same answer. Mm -hmm. But when you disrupt that and have some counter thoughts and people pushing back, well, then now we're starting to really stretch that idea and and really test it and see if it's sound and if it's going to hold up. Mm -hmm. Um, And that kind of debate raises the level of discourse, raises the level of challenge, and kind of helps us all see things from a different angle. Yeah. Now... One
1: component of having that sort of discourse, discourse, I imagine, is based upon the environment. So the instructor or the professor within an academic setting has to be able to construct an atmosphere in a way that everybody involved is receptive of having that sort of discussion, correct?
0: You do. So you do want to set some parameters, um, the concept of what's called psychological safety, being able to challenge, being able to learn, being able to ask questions that are wrong. Um, nobody wants to raise their hand in a class. Nobody wants to be the first one to speak up in a meeting because you don't know if what you're going to say is going to be received well. Mm -hmm. So some people are are afraid. So if you build a space where it's okay to be wrong, it's okay to ask questions, it's okay to say things um, in a safe, welcoming way, then people are going to be more apt to reach out and say things or ask questions. And -hmm. if you can develop that culture of asking questions, develop that safe space of being able to to challenge um, without facing negative repercussions, then people are going to do that more often. So yeah. you do have to kind of set the tone to say, we're going to talk about issues. Um, what often falls apart is people start attacking one another based on stereotypes or biases. Um, and when you attack somebody else and they' as an individual, it kind of falls apart. Yeah, when you stick to the ideas, you stick to the thoughts. It's a really good conversation, and it usually goes better.
1: Perfect. So a lot of impact there. I want to make sure that we come back to what you were just talking about of not attacking the person, attacking the thoughts of the the ideas but also for some of the other listeners that may not be familiar with this term, describe psychological safety for me and how can a professional and academic, uh, really anybody that's responsible for creating an environment where discourse has to occur, how can they continue to build psychological
0: safety? Psychological safety, I believe, has four different realms. Um, there's learner safety, there's challenge, challenger safety, um, and the idea is that if I'm a boss or even if I'm kind of the head of my social circle. There's certain behaviors that I will permit or they will permit, and by permit I mean if you ask this question or challenge somebody, I might give you a a bad assignment. I might tell you you have to come in the overnight shift or I might tell you you have to do the notes for the meeting or I might tell you, oh, you can't sit next to me in the lunchroom or whatever that looks like. There's some sort of consequence. Mm -hmm. So I'm singling to you not to ask me hard questions. But if I create a space where I can single to you that you can challenge my thoughts, you can challenge our ideas, our norms, and they're not gonna face any kind of negative space, negative repercussions, um, then you're more likely gonna have people that'll speak freely and talk. So controlling whoever the general, either individual or group or culture that controls whether or not you ask questions, that's what it's gonna be. Uh In a simple term, really reductive, but simple, if you think about talking back to your parents you ask your parents why, and the answer is because I said so. Yeah, And then you soon learn, I'm not going to ask any more questions, because uh-huh. the answer is always going to be because I said so or something else that's just cut you off. But if you ask that question and you ask why, and they go into an explaining and debate and start talking, then the next time you have a question, you're going to talk more and ask more questions. But if you always get shut down when you ask a question, you're just not going to be asking a lot of questions. So you always want to welcome that, bring that up, challenge people, Brene Brown talks about a technique in her book where she has people write down ideas on a postcard in a meeting and then she says one, two, three, go and everybody turns over their idea so that you're not waiting to see what the next person says to see if it's okay for me to bring up an idea. She wants people just to say whatever's on their mind and then put it out there and then we can talk about all those things as opposed to sometimes you'll cower. If somebody says something, if somebody says something, everybody groans, then you have that same idea, then you won't talk. So just trying to make spaces where you can actually um, be honest and open about that and, and have good conversations. Mm-hmm. So there's something interesting there. It, it's not, it, so I
1: think what we're talking about is an aspect of leadership, right? Somebody that's commanding the room, commanding the space where everybody is involved, creating this psychological safety so that everybody feel like their voices can be heard what does it take for an individual to get to that point to where they can allow that uh, discussion to flow naturally without feeling insecure that they're not bringing all the ideas or they don't, they're comfortable feeling challenged.
0: I think as a leader, um, <clears throat> knowing that as a group we can go farther together and having the idea that I'm not the expert, I hired good people, or I brought good people in on this team to do something and understanding That's why we're all here together to advance our cause, our idea, our business, our product, whatever it is, we brought people together that have expertise, and you want to make sure that you're not just having an echo chamber of people telling you what you want to hear and engaged with just what you say in a positive way that you create a space where there's counter thought and challenge, um, and that way you can grow and, and build a team that says, hey, let's do this together. I'm an expert in this field. I'm an expert in this field. This doesn't work for us because of this. This doesn't work because of that. And you as the leader or de facto leader in that group are saying, okay, I'm taking it all in, absorbing everything, and now I can strategically put together a plan to incorporate all these thoughts and ideas Mm -hmm. so that we can advance together. And it's not about my ego that I got all the answers and I do it right. It's us as a team, us as a group going farther together. Yeah.
1: Awesome. I appreciate that. I want to touch on a little bit that you said about not having echo chambers, us uh, basically bouncing off the ideas and the beliefs that we already have just to people that are going to reverberate it back to us. And so my next question for us is, is how can a diverse network internally and externally within an organization spur career success and, and more deeply as we're talking about it? How does just connecting with different people make us long-term more successful?
0: Um, I think it gives us more ideas. Um, I think you put pieces together. Um, I'll talk about cooking, right? So if you're want to live, you can eat ground beef and just cook ground beef every day and eat it and you'll be sustained and be able to have the calories. Mm-hmm. But you start adding salt and pepper, you start adding spices and vegetables and, and other things together. And now you're creating dishes, now you're creating bigger things and not just this one single idea. So surrounding yourself with different people and different thoughts and different I- perspectives, it gives you more flavor, it gives you more um, understanding. It lets you kind of bounce ideas off of, of different people and different spaces and think, oh, now I can make this connection with that person and that connection with this person and this thought. And it just allows you to have a big, a more robust idea and thought process behind you. So the more people you can get next to you that are different, um, I think the better conversations you have and the better thoughts you have.
1: Yeah. So, Mito, I know that, you know, both of us have been, have participated in civic engagements, board service, and everything like that. When people normally hear about networking or like building social connections, they usually think about it outside of like, okay, well, who do I know out in the community that I can touch bases? But rarely do we think about social networking within the concept of within our own organization. So I don't know if you have any examples on where you've seen environments where people were able to create social connections really well and how that played out in a positive in the community or an organization or whether within your career you've experienced um, environments, organizations where they actually weren't conducive to building social connections.
0: Uh, One of the things that's always worked well, I kind of mentioned this in higher ed that we get a lot of free labor and we have committees and task force and things. Um, Building people together for a common purpose really helps. So maybe you at your company are planning the annual um, employee staff retreat or um, picnic or dinner or something. Mm-hmm. Pulling people from different teams to put them together to work for a goal allows them to grow together, talk together, and really bond. Um, getting outside of your own office uh, and just walking across, engaging with one another and talking about random things also helps to kind of build that connection because, You might think you're totally different from somebody else, but you both love basketball or you both love coffee or you both love something music or you might play chess. We all have these unique things that we care about. And sometimes they cross over with people that are really, really different from us. But we have a love for the same thing or we have a common purpose. So any way that you can reveal kind of what those things are, be more personable, engage with others, share things outside of just your narrow duties at work or your organization space that you're working toward um, ways that you can engage with other people and talk about what makes you a whole person. Yeah. I think gives you that opportunity to really connect and grow with other folks. Yep. So
1: the next question I'm going to ask is the individual may be motivated to go across departments uh, across campus, if you will, in an academic setting um, and go and reach out to some of these other people. But, If the culture of the organization, of the team, of the department, whatever you want to call it, isn't pro building relationships, distrusting of people, even within their own organizations, I can see that being a challenge, even if somebody is wanting to build relationships elsewhere. So how can organizations be a better facilitator in cultivating diverse social networks? within their companies, especially when we know that that leads to robust ideas, um, people being able to work better, organizations being more efficient, people just having greater job satisfaction where they're working.
0: I think having an understanding of the value added that that brings, um, having a culture that says, we wanna do this for the betterment of the organization. We wanna do this to be able to sell more products or reach more audiences or touch more people and knowing that if I have people from different backgrounds, people from different experiences, we're able to grow, we're able to reach, and we're able to do more. So I think the culture of the organization needs to be about how do we leverage that to be better? How do we make our organization better and then we can reach out um, and attract more people? Um, We might touch on this later, but one of the things to think about is this idea that if you chase a butterfly, it's gonna fly away from you and you might not catch it. But if you tend to your own garden, if you make it a beautiful thing and you have this organization or this person that is doing all these wonderful things, butterflies will come to your garden. People will come to your organization because they see you as this place they want to be a part of. They want to belong to that. They want to be there. Um, So people will be attracted to those things that they see as as good and beautiful and healthy. So creating those organizations, creating yourself to a space and curating your own life to where you're living by your values, that you're doing what you say you're going to do, that you have trust and integrity, all those kind of concepts um, will attract other people to your garden, so to speak, or to you or to your organization. So then you don't have to think about, I need to go find somebody that can do this, somebody that looks like that, somebody that does this and bring them in. They're going to come to you on their own. Mm-hmm. I'm telling you the first time that you told me
1: about the illustration, it, it stayed in my head for probably the first 48 hours after we talked about it, because I think it hones in on the concept of, I think Gandhi may have said it too. It's like the change that you want to see in the world starts with you first. And the older that I've gotten, the more that I've really honed in on my professional development, the more that I understand is like everything that I want to see in the world already exists within me to not get so like metaphysical mm-hmm. and stuff like that. But I mean, really the the type of success that you want to see in others starts with you, right? I can't have, I think I mentioned this in one in my podcast episodes, like I can't have happiness if I don't have it within myself can't be loving if I don't love myself type of thing. And so equally so, I can't add value to other people if I'm not willing to add value to myself as well. So I think it's just a, another way to communicate that we really do have to turn inward in order to see the outward result. Um, Just because I, I, I want to bring this up, you mentioned being a prism. Share with me that additional illustration in in terms of Diversity, equity, inclusion, but then also just being a, a guiding force for people.
0: Sure. So I, I love people. I like to talk. I like stories. I like hearing people's background because I think it's so interesting and, and really gives me insight about myself. So I've always envisioned myself, especially when I worked in the higher ed space, but even now in training and education, um, I want to embody this idea that I'm a prism. So a light comes into me as a white light. Uh, one single kind of beam and then it goes out in different colors and different scatters throughout and makes this um, kind of mosaic of different uh, colors and and lights and, and intensities and beams. And I think that's what we can do to add value. We meet people, we talk to them. It helps us change, but now I can connect you with three or four other people. Now I know hey, if I know somebody's doing this, I just met somebody else doing that, now I can bring them together. Mm. And I think when you have that idea that people come into you and you just collect them and you save them kind of things, kind of odd to say it like that, but you don't spread their information with anybody, then it just kind of stays with you and is stuck. But if you become somebody that's spreading it out and spreading that light out and spreading those different colors, Now you're making more connections. You're getting people connected to different things, whether that's board services or companies or bringing two people together um, that just like certain things. You're spreading that information out. And I think that's what makes us better people and allows us to grow and allows us to have a a better society and organization, whatever that looks like. Um, But really just spreading that around to other folks. Yeah. It's interesting that you say It's almost
1: like hoarding people, right? Um, You've you've probably seen this if, you, if you've if you been at networking functions around the city or just in general. It's like, oh, I want to collect somebody's information because they can do something for me um, and not more with the perspective of, okay, I'm learning from them. Who else could benefit from learning from this person as well? There almost has to be, in my opinion, an internal reasoning as to why you want to serve as a connector rather than just hoarding these other people. Would you agree?
0: Yeah, I think it, it makes you... Um, feel like you're progressing something Like you're connecting two things mm. now you've solved some problems now you might have introduced people and they might not connect or they might not like each other or they might build something great and you can take a little sense of internal pride to say hey I, I helped get those people together I helped that conversation move forward I helped do that so there's a want to do better and there's a want to improve. And if you can connect other folks that are already doing great work, um, then it makes it a lot easier because now you're part of that collective win and that collective gain or whatever that looks like. And yeah. you can kind of take that on as a sense of pride. Mm-hmm. Let's
1: Let's turn the conversation in the opposite direction. So we've been very positive, forthcoming. What's the good things that are coming out of building diverse social networks? Why is it important? what do you think prevents us from being open to meeting new people?
0: Um, I think a lot of times we're uncomfortable. Whether we have our own insecurities as individuals and we don't want to put ourselves out there or step out of our comfort zones, it's real easy to stay in our safe space and our happy bubble and do all the things that, that make us feel good. Once you take a risk, there's a chance that it might not go well. And we're, as human beings, I believe, risk averse. We don't want to do things where we get hurt or we've seen other people that may embarrass themselves or, or took a chance and it didn't go well. You're like, oh, I can't do that. I wouldn't survive doing that. Yeah. So walking up to a group of people that are talking at a networking event or um, your company or something, there's always a chance that that group of people or that person is going to look at you funny and say, why are you talking to me or blow you off? Yeah. And that's a devastating loss. And a lot of times we don't really want to put ourselves in that risk and it's hard. Mm-hmm. um, but understanding that without stepping out of your, without, if you don't step out of your comfort zone, you're never going to grow. You've got to get out there and do something. If it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. You tried, you learned something from it and you move on. Yeah. Um, but that fear of other people judging us of our own insecurities, those fears really manifest and kind of prevent us and put up blocks. I think of, of being able to do that.
1: Yeah. There's a, uh, there's a framework that I came up with it, where it's going to see if it stands the test of time, but it's a framework called PING. So it stands for uh, personal branding, interpersonal communication, networking, and then giving value to others. And really the the whole reason is how do we grow more social connections is through these four components. Some of the uh, influences or negative influence that I feel like hinder us from being able to grow in some of those areas are the things like our biases, our insecurities, our fears, and things of that sort. So it's interesting that you you bring that up. if we are going to move outside of our comfort zone to really put ourselves out there to expose ourselves and to meet other people, what mindset shift in your opinion needs to occur in order for us to do that. And especially because of some of the climate that we're in prioritizing diversity
0: when it comes to building our social connections. Um, I think, you know, the, again, the understanding that we're doing this as a group together and betterment, I think um, in a big meta you know big picture idea of what the United States of America was intended to be, this quote unquote, melting pot is what you learned mm. uh, growing up. But bringing all these different people and cultures together um, to make something great and something that's not seen in the world. yeah, um so we have opportunities to to add all these things in and develop something bigger and something better. Um, So that approach of let's see if we can make this the best we can with everything around us and not exclude, but include and really start adding to and not taking away from um, can really change the way we approach it and think about how do we add to this and make this better and use all those elements in a way that um, make everything around us better and and go in a positive direction. Uh, Just understanding that we're trying to move better together is is something I think is, is really important to do that. Yeah. So, because you brought it up, um, I think it's it's
1: relevant. So, if you're comfortable talking about it, we can. Um, but affirmative action has been big over the past couple of months. Of, or really, maybe it's been a year now since the the case was made to to essentially remove affirmative action from, I think, public and private sectors, and then also some academic settings, uh, primarily where it was pushed. And so. To some people and some audiences, that would mean that there's no longer a either priority on creating or intentionally creating diverse spaces. Um, and also there's not a checkbox for organizations to say that they need to prioritize diversity hires. What are your thoughts around affirmative action? How do you think it impacts organizations and the responsibility that they have to actually prioritize creating diverse organizations?
0: Yeah, there's actually... Two different things. So the Supreme Court ruling on removing affirmative action, um, especially in, in terms of um, college acceptance. The idea in the in the um, case was that we no longer need that. Like we've we've reached the point where we don't need to prioritize one group over another uh, because we're all equal and we've all reached a, a place. The concern with that, in my opinion, the problem with that is that we're evaluating and judging people based on one set of standards. And typically in the United States of America, that's from a white male perspective, Christian perspective, of where we're judging everybody based on these one set of standards, where other people live different ways and have different traditions and beliefs. They're not given that same sort of value. There's a a comic out there where they say, we're going to judge everybody by how well they can judge a tree. And they have all these animals lined up and there's a fish and there's a snake Mm. and there's all these things. And, Some of them don't have arms and can't grow and and a fish can't grow a tree. But if the measuring point is whoever gets to the top of the tree is the best and that's all we're measuring from, then there's going to be people that fall off and don't make it. So if we're only evaluating folks from one perspective and one idea, um, then other things that other people do, there's not merit there. Um, Somebody who doesn't score 100% on their English test but can speak five languages Maybe they don't speak one, great, but they can communicate with a lot more people than I can because I don't speak that many languages. But if I'm only evaluating them on how well their addiction is in their English, then I've eliminated several parts of them. So yeah. I think we lose a lot of that value. The other one is the HB 17 here in Texas uh, and some other states now, Utah, Florida, where they're removing um, diversity, equity, inclusion offices and spaces from college campuses. So now you can't have an office of diversity, equity, inclusion at a, at a public university Um, And some state and local offices will kind of follow suit with that. And it takes away, if I'm hurting and there's an experience that I'm having that I need somebody to talk to that understands, I may not know where to go. And these used to be places where I could go and talk to somebody else and say things that I didn't have to say, just, hey, you know how this is, when this happens, this happens, and I have an understanding. And now a lot of those spaces aren't gonna be there. There's not that place to vent and talk to. And it's gonna further isolate folks. It's gonna further make people stressed out and depressed and not have anywhere to go to to talk to people. And I think in both cases, the removal of affirmative action and DEI as a office is gonna reduce the ability for non-dominant groups to succeed. So non-white people are gonna have harder time and we're gonna regress and go back to a time when um, even more enrollment disparities, even more graduation disparities, even more successes are gonna be hard. And for companies and individuals, it's gonna be harder for us to recruit. It's gonna be harder for us to find talent. It's gonna be harder for us to go out and make necessary changes to incorporate different markets, to network with people, to have more understanding on our in our companies because they're not giving the opportunities, they're not giving the spaces, and we just don't have enough people to get there. Mm-hmm. So it's gonna cause a lot more competition, it's gonna cause a lot more um, resentment, and I think it's gonna really set us back um, before it gets better before we're able to say, hey, this isn't working, let's go the other way.
1: Yep. No, I appreciate that that articulate answer. Long-term, really when we look at academic institutions, there's a lot of different uh, ways that you can you can view it, but let's just say that academic institutions are the entry point into the job force, right? Um, so you do good grades, you're getting connected with the right social circles that eventually give you the employment, you exit it, and so on and so forth. So now what we're saying is, if I understand you correctly, is because of this policy change, they're now to, I guess, we no longer have to do the diversity hire or the diversity applicant to come through. We can really create one line of measurement and say you either make it or you don't. And traditionally, if we move that back even from like college admissions, if you're not coming from a high school that's properly funded, has the appropriate amount of staff teachers student ratios you're not getting the the uh, attention that you need it really doesn't set you up to be competitive in those academic admissions and then you don't get into the the college and then so on And it just kind of trickles down so it really isn't just about the policy change it's more of like here is now this is essentially the stop gate for people. So what are gonna be the alternatives then if you're not competitive enough? If you don't come from a great high school, you're not competitive enough in the college admissions process. And even if you do get in, there's this overwhelming feeling that you're isolated because there's, over time, you may not see people that look like you that can really understand where you're coming from, um, identify with the experiences that you're having and you may not even understand how to navigate some of those social circles in order to find employment. Like, I know it's a long-winded answer, but there's so much to unpack just in that little bit.
0: Yeah, <clears throat> I think uh, what we'll see a lot of is um, more isolation, so people are gonna find alternative ways to to either represent themselves, um, to compete, or um, go to institutions that well, they see people that look like them whether that's historically back colleges and universities, whether that's Hispanic serving institutions, uh, people will start gravitating toward that where they see themselves comfortable and it'll kind of regress back to this idea, not in purpose, but just in reality of segregation where we're keeping people in their own little pockets in their own little spaces. Um, it's gonna be a lot more work for colleges and universities to interview folks, to dive deeper into essays and to not have those traditional measures excuse me, of of GPA and SAT scores. So we really have to look back and see <clears throat> what value added, what merit are they doing. Excuse me. So one of the things that I always talk to students about um when I was working in higher ed with scholarships or, or getting into grad school, tell me all the things that kept you from being able to do your homework. Maybe you have two younger brothers and sisters that you had to take care of. Maybe you had to work full time. Maybe your parents worked night shift. So you weren't able to just sit at home and do your homework Mm. that's reflected in your grades probably reflected out into your um sat or act scores i need to know about that i need you to tell me about that so now college universities and companies need to set up interviews and spaces where they are more intense about asking follow-up questions why haven't you worked anywhere before? Why haven't you done this program? Why haven't you done uh, these kind of grades? And now you need to tell me more and more and more. So it's gonna be a more time intensive way for us to look and search and find. Um, And it's gonna really put us in a place of, you have to be very committed to getting these groups of people um, and evaluating them on a fair basis. Hmm. Because like you mentioned about schools, you might've taken calculus two at your high school. And that might be the highest math ever being able To take but somebody else might have had three other math courses they could have took and how do you compare your two gpas if you're only doing geometry and somebody else is doing calculus Mm. how do you make that distinction of hey we only had biology but this other people had chemistry and genetics and all these other things in their high school so how do you compare those two things or how do you prepare um and it becomes a harder kind of space to really evaluate individuals Mm -hmm. so in in
1: everything that we talked about i'm sure the audience is like well how does this this is like kind of like a career success business etiquette networking podcast like how does this all connect back to you know these three overarching themes and the reality is it's taken into perspective the person's story and who you're interacting with and why their journey was laid out the way that it is to be to be completely honest like people don't have the same opportunities that you do right and culturally uh economically, they may be at a disadvantage. Um, they, when you're, especially with hiring manager, that's probably, I was just mentioning to you, like, you know, I'm a, I'm a recently new manager and I'm going through the interview process and I can see how the manager, the hiring manager position can be extremely powerful and extremely influential because you are essentially the person that says, yes, you can come to this job or no, you can't. And so really understanding where somebody is coming from, being aware of some of the um, potentially uh, obstacles that they've had to overcome that are out of their control should be informative in the way that you're looking at. Okay, If I want to be create a more inclusive and diverse and equitable environment, here are all of the things that I have to consider when bringing someone in.
0: So, so really quickly, thinking yep. about that, um, if you hire somebody and they do really well. You start looking for that same prototype, that same person, because, hey, they they were successful in what I needed them to do. Mm-hmm. So you start doing that. What I would challenge people to do in, in hiring managers or if you're developing your social network is to be in different spaces, intentionally go do other things, find counter stories and counter, nar- counter narratives, read other things. Our social media feeds are mm-hmm. designed to give us what we want and what we click on. So add in some other spaces, click on other things, mess up the algorithm, get some other voices to come in, follow people that are not like you, just so you can hear other perspectives and do something different. Maybe every Friday morning you go have coffee and read the paper somewhere. Go to a different coffee shop, go to a different side of town, go somewhere else, sit somewhere different. You don't have to engage and talk to everybody that comes in, but just being in different spaces, seeing different people, going to different restaurants, Maybe once a month, go to a different church and take your family to a different church and and just explore. Hearing those different perspectives, putting yourself in uncomfortable spaces, now allows you to see what other people might see when they come into your organization. If nobody around them thinks or looks like you, you've been in that situation. You know how those feelings are. Do something different than you normally would do just to understand what it's like for people who aren't like you um, to see that from a different perspective. Mm that'll help you be a better hire, that'll help you be a better networker, help you be a better friend, help you be a better parent. Because now you can say, oh, I understand why they're saying this. I understand where it's coming from. I didn't live that way, but I talked to four people who had that same idea. I don't think that's true, but four people did. So I need to really consider this idea yeah. and then think about it. So do something different, get engaged in different organizations, try something new, um, make it you know, a, a conscious effort once a month, once a week, whatever your time frame is um to do one or two things different and just kind of feel what it's like to be in a different space mm-hmm. and fail at something. Like yeah. You, people go to karaoke and there's people who never <laughs> get on that stage because it's 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 frightening. Yeah. Um but then at a meeting you're going to ask somebody to stand up and address a crowd of 50 people or 100 people. You don't connect those two thoughts because one's at a bar singing and the other one's at your office you're supposed to be a professional and do this job. But it takes you know some fortitude to stand up and and sure. and speak. So understanding those different uncomfortable situations allows you to understand people from a different perspective. So just do something different. Mitho, I think
1: with that, I think we've gave the audience enough to to chew on. We probably could talk for several more hours about these topics. But I want to say that it's been a pleasure to have you on the podcast and officially making you a part of the Brute Talks family. So you delivered a ton of valuable insight to the audience. But before you go, can you share with us just some tips, best practices, or considerations we should form when thinking about how do we create a more diverse, inclusive, and equitable social network?
0: Yeah, for me, I think the idea of, of knowing who you are, um, what your values are, who you are as a person, what you care about, um, and living those uh, so other people can see that so they understand who you are when, you, when you're talking with them and, and attract other people. And then the idea of counter stories and counter narratives, whatever information, news, people you talk to, stories you hear, find an opposite viewpoint, find somebody else that you trust that you can talk with and ask questions um, and really just start learning other perspectives and other people to see where um, your own biases are wrong, to see where your thoughts and beliefs are sound, uh, but just really try to invite other people and other spaces and other voices uh, inside your own head to kind of understand, hey, I, I need to think a little different and see what happens. And I might've been right the whole time or I might've been totally wrong. Yeah. But if you never challenge those thoughts and beliefs, you'll never understand them. Yeah, thank you for that.
1: And are there, are there any resources, whether free or pay, that our audience can indulge in to understand a little bit more about DEI?
0: Yeah, there's a bunch. Um, the Kellogg Foundation, um, I think it's mm-hmm. WKK, c.org if i'm not mistaken they've got a, a ton of information mm-hmm. um, the race equity institute is an organization that does training if you're in the waco area the waco foundation and cooper foundation sponsor folks to go through a two-day training um, different social media things uh, every day is juneteenth is an instagram feed that i like to go through that really brings in a lot of historical perspectives um, there's books and there's there's curated information uh, benji and i actually went through a, a podcast series called seen on radio Mm. um being um being white i think was the name of the actual thing but it's seen on radio they have four or five different uh series of podcasts that you can engage with so a lot of different things that you can do just do some research and go out there and read some books and and find some whatever media you consume documentaries podcasts movies music whatever it is um there's different spaces out there where you can hear different voices i'll submit them
1: and lastly, as a way to foster a more personal connection with our audience, would you mind if I added your LinkedIn profile to the show notes, just in case anybody wants to reach out to learn more from you? Absolutely. Fantastic. Well, thanks again for being on the show and I appreciate your time. All right, no problem. All right, everybody. Well, for more tips, best practices, and practical advice, feel free to reach out to Dr. Diaz Espinoza for all things DEI and for all things Brutox. Uh, follow us on Instagram at Brutox Podcast and always remember, pinkies up. If you enjoy the content of this episode and this is something you'd like to put in your coffee morning, noon, and night, please subscribe on Apple Music, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts.
0: This has been a Rogue Media Network production.